Good morning, everyone. Good morning, balcony. Good morning. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to uh, give an opportunity to say thank you to a, a very uh, dear and special staff member who's retired after 10 years of faithful service to our church. I don't know if she's here today, but can we show our appreciation uh, to our admin extraordinaire, Becca Twitchell? Thank you to Becca. Thank you so much. And Mark, would you mind turning that fan off? My hair's already blowing in the... I already got the Beyonce thing going. <laughs> we are in our series, as Sarah said, called uh, Knowing God. That's what we wanted to start this year off of, of knowing God uh, more deeply. That's, that's integral to uh, the mission of our church. And so we are in week five of the series. Uh, by way of review, the first message was about the Trinity, God is. The next was about creation that God has given us. God makes, then God loves, God reveals, and today, part five, God judges. The Bible says that God is a God of judgment. And someone's saying, oh, of all the Sundays to show up to this church for the first time, he's going to talk about judgment, fire, and brimstone. Gosh, great. Don't, don't pass judgment too soon. Don't, don't leave. Hold on. This is not a popular message, but it's a biblical one that we have this morning. It's a very human thing to judge other people, isn't it? Isn't it something that we do all the time? We, we, we make assumptions. We have snap decisions. We, we're forced to judge quickly on all sorts of different occasions. Our brain is forced to make calls on what we see and what's going on around us for, for good or bad or neutral. We've been teaching our son Jonathan to drive. He's almost got his license. And, oh gosh, it's my watch. <laughs> and uh, don't judge me. And <laughs> we're teaching him how to drive. And what do we, parents that teach your kids how to drive, they have to make snap judgments all the time, right? You're not just looking at where, where, where cars are on the road, but you're looking at the human beings that are behind those wheels. And so we helped him to recognize the signs of trouble. That's just good judgment. So if you see someone behind a, a wheel and they're like this, what, what, what are we supposed to do with, with this? Oh, well, they must have a very important message. I'm just going to pray for them. No, they're all, get off the phone. They're a distracted driver. What about this one? What, what, what about this? Does anyone see a... What, what's this? Oh, she's late for a very important meeting. No! She's get away from her and him and whomever is driving distracted. So we, we make judgments. The problem with judging people is we often reduce them down to a, to a handful of characteristics. And we, we make that judgment just on what they're wearing, what they look like, where they're coming from. And we don't take into account that every human being is a complex, three-dimensional Creature created in the image of God, we talked about two weeks ago. And so judging in that way diminishes that image-bearing person. The more we judge others, the less room we have to love. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that? And as followers of Jesus, and many of us here are followers of Jesus, those watching at home, many of you are, not everyone, but many of us are, and we would say that our, our OS, our operating system, is to love our neighbors as ourselves. Would you agree with that? Okay. 
I have a lot of amens here. Silent, we're Presbyterians, so we said, hey, yeah, I agree. Really. Now, given that we, we don't want to judge, we want to love, given that we, we say this is our standard operating procedure, how we operate in the world, the most common complaint of our non-Christian neighbors and friends is that we are too what? We're too judgmental. That we impose our views on others. We're unloving, we're hypocritical, we're anti this, that, and the other. We're blind to our prejudice. Sounds a little judgy, doesn't it? But do you hear that? Do you get that sometimes? And we lament before the Lord our God the ways we have judged others harshly, the ways the church of which we represent, the capital C church, has been unloving and, and hypocritical even in the way we judge. I'll say this, the Christians that I know, that I've come in contact with, want to be known for compassion and love, while at the same time taking seriously what the Bible teaches, warning us against God's judgment, trying to find that balance. We want to, to be loving people, and we believe that in loving other people, we need to also warn people. You see someone driving distracted. Oh, no, I'm trying to do both. There, someone's actually looking at their phone, and that's just a double whammy, isn't it? This, we want to warn them, don't we? Tragically, some misguided church folk take judging people to extremes. They, they think it's, it's as if it's their job to eviscerate all of God's enemies. That's why they're here on the planet. That's their spiritual calling. That is not the case here at Maple Valley Church. I look around this room. I know many of you that are watching home. I also know we have guests here this morning and, and watching from home. People I know personally in this room model their life after our Lord Jesus Christ. Model the very words that Sarah was praying. Lord Jesus, teach us your ways. We want to live like you. We want to speak the truth in love. We want to be, and we are, the people I know that I interact with, people I've, I've called friends and family within this church family, are anti-racist. But we don't want to be anti-any people. We, we want to love people. We want to share, share what we have, our resources with them. That even that offering that's being taken is not primarily for ourselves. We want to give ourselves away. We want to serve people. And yet, and yet, time and again, that idea of judgment comes up because even as much as we want to care and serve and do right, we are unwilling to give up what Scripture clearly teaches. As much as this is a loving church and a thoughtful church and a church that wants to take people for who they are and understand people as three-dimensional, complex, whole people made in the image of God, you are also a people who have invited me to serve as a pastor. And you approve my teaching of God's word, and we call it truth with a capital T, about behaviors and lifestyles the Bible warns are sinful, unhealthy, unholy, immoral, unethical, and affront to God's creation. Marring God's creation. You say yes and amen to that. No, Pastor Pete, not to do that would, would actually harm other people. And so the Bible does say God is judgmental, but not in the way that we are with a snap decision, with all the facts that God knows perfectly all things, and yet God 
judges because God is a holy God and cannot tolerate sin. There must be a righting of the wrong, a judgment on wrongdoing. That his holiness demands justice for sins committed. And time and again, as we look at Scripture, as we've studied Scripture together, as we've dived into difficult, challenging passages, again and again, a mirror is held up to ourselves, not a, not a finger pointing at anyone else, but to look to ourselves to see, oh God, where is it in me that you see fault? Isaiah 59, verse 2, just one of many passages we could go to. And Isaiah is being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words to the people of God. He says, your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. Thanks be to God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? Not a pretty decent person who pays his taxes and is actually generally a nice guy. No, a, a wretch like me when I see the holiness of God held up. I see how far I am from him. I praise God for his grace shed on me. Thanks be to God for the living hope we have in Jesus Christ. There is a reason that he came, that he lived the perfect life that we could not live, that he died on the cross and paid a debt that we could not pay. It was far more than just showing us an example of how to be loving. Far more was going on on the cross to win us from hell. When Jesus comes again, and he will come, Scripture teaches, and we believe he will come to judge the living and the dead. All of us will be there that day. I praise God for his grace that he has shown to us but no merit within ourselves, but that we would turn to him and say, Lord, I want to trust you by faith. And that's all we need to do. Say, Lord Jesus, I trust you by faith. I receive you, oh God. I turn from my, my old life. It's dead to me now. I want to be a new creation in Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit. And out of that, love then requires a kind of message that we're delivering today requires a message that's delivered not just to those that will listen, but to everyone. Love requires that, yes, we are, are gentle and, and confronting things that are not true, and we call them, those things that aren't true what? Lies. But we, we do so out of, out of the motivation of care and worry of the person who's driving on the wrong side of the road. This invites judgment. It invites a snap judgment. It, it, it invites assumptions. It invites snap decisions. But it's, it's critical that we share this good news. Jesus said, blessed are those of you who are persecuted for my name's sake. For great is your reward in heaven. Unfairly labeled, canceled, rejected for whatever reason it might be. But this is our calling. I must admit, I got to this point in writing this sermon. How far are we into it, team? About a few minutes. And I was at a loss. Because the sermon took about eight different directions we could have gone. And after I'd written all eight directions, this would clock at about a three-hour sermon. I don't know, know that any of you would want to be here that long. I know, you know we've got a plan. Nathan's going to be speaking after the service. And so that wouldn't cut it. But 
All the different thoughts were running through my mind. Where does this go? Understanding theologically the case for judgment, the understanding of the doctrine of hell and separation, the understanding of, of the fact that we live in a postmodern world. What does that mean in relativism and, and cancel culture and identity politics and all these things? I was writing all these things and I was getting all worked up. And I'm going to be perfectly honest. I know this is on camera. This is going to be awkward, but it's very real. Yesterday, I had eight sermons. And I, I don't know what to do. So you know what I did? I prayed. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, I'll say humbly, the Spirit said to me, this is the message I meant to give. And I deleted most of what I wrote. I wrote this down at this point. I said, I believe the Holy Spirit was saying to me, focus on relationships inside the church. And how knowing that God judges, and not you, Pete, and not anyone else, that God is the judge, not you or me, and the implications of that is the message we need to hear today. So maybe you got fired up. Oh, Pastor Pete's going to really bring this message, or I really want to go deeper on this message. And There's time for those other eight messages, but this is the one that God has prepared. So I'd invite you to open your Bible to Romans chapter 14. And but before we get there, I'll just give you a quick review. I'm sort of cheating a little bit because we plan to preach a whole series in the book of Romans. And if any of you have gone through a series in the book of Romans, there's a couple of things to know. One, it, it's very, very long. It takes a long time to do it right, to preach through all of the book of Romans. And, and also, it's, it's such a great height of theological uh, excellence. It's like uh, climbing Mount Everest is the book of Romans. So I'm cheating a bit because I'm, I'm jumping over all of that climbing to the 30,000-foot view towards the end of the book. So when you preach through the book of Romans, it starts off good, everyone's excited, and then, oh, this gets hard really quickly, really, really fast. And then it's really hard climbing and up and down and up and down. And when can we get to the end of chapter 8? Eight? Because eight? that's a really good part that Pastor Frank will bring in the benediction. Everyone's going to say yes and amen to that part. But the other stuff is really hard and confusing, when can you do the really hard stuff? Oh, now we're cruising at 30,000 feet when we get to chapter 12 and following. So I'm going to cheat a little bit. Quick review. 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, lays out the gospel. Theme verse, chapter 1, verse 17. In the gospel... The righteousness of God, getting right with God, is revealed, last week, Revelation, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul unpacks that, all the implications of it, all the meaning of that, and he digs deep into the Old Testament. He lays out the gorgeous gloriousness of the new, and he argues that faith is a gift of God's grace and mercy. And he goes on to explain how it is that we get right with God, our condition, the bad news, and then the good. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It leads all the way up. You finally get up. I'm going to mix my metaphors. You get up to, let's say, the base camp, almost to the summit in chapter 12 before he's, he's covered the whole thing. And he wraps that whole section up with this, chapter 12, 1 and 2. I urge you, brothers and sisters, 
in view of God's mercy, look back at all that we've climbed to this point, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So in these last four chapters, the Apostle Paul starts to explain the implications. Knowing God in this incredible way, how do we then live that out? What are the practical implications for the church? And he's writing to a particular church in Rome that's living out these implications. The rest of chapter 12, he, he lays out what it means uh, to love one another. He says that loving your neighbor is the fulfillment of the law. He goes into chapter 13 about our relationship to civic authorities. That would be a good one for us to cover, don't you think? How do we make sense of our relationship as a church to, to government? And then in chapter 14, he addresses a conflict within the church in Rome, a conflict that we've seen together in previous series back in the fall, built to last, a conflict that arises in the book of Acts, in the church in Antioch, in Galatians, the church in Galatia, and here in Rome, where you have Jewish Christians, people coming out of their Jewish experience, mixing together with Gentile Christians, and out of their pagan Gentile Greek-Roman influence, and how those two come together and the implications of living together. And Paul says he addresses those that have grown up as he did out of that Jewish tradition, they still hold to those kosher laws, issues of, of what you are, can and cannot eat, about meat versus vegetables, about uh, drinking wine, about days that you can celebrate. He calls them the, the weaker brothers and sisters, not morally, but, but in the sense of not fully being on board and embracing the gospel. And then he addresses uh, those that are coming out of this Gentile background who are like, we're at odds with this. We don't understand do we have to do these things or not? Those two come together. We don't have time to go through the whole chapter, but in your small groups this week, uh, I've asked you to read that whole chapter together and some questions that can guide you through as we lead up and zero in on the implications of judging one another, the, the point of where we want to go here. Here's the text. We got all that lead up to this. Romans 14, 10 to 13. He said a lot. He says, now you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, and here he quotes Isaiah 45, verse 23, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. And friends, I want to tell you that there's more at stake in this passage than food that you eat or days that you celebrate. Look at these words again. Why do you judge why do you treat a person with contempt? That judgment, you don't just drive past them and cross the intersection. You're, you're living with someone. You're treating them differently. You're treating them with contempt. And then it says you're laying 
a stumbling block, a trap before them. There's more at stake going on here of of whether we're going to be friends and remain friends and, and work it out. There's more at stake going on here than whether we'll stay in this church or go to a different church. Look at, look at the verses just before this. This is what he says in verses 8 to 9. I'll read it to you. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord for this reason. In the context of talking about food and drink and holidays, for this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. Paul's saying this is so much bigger. The very gospel is at stake. Life and death are at stake. Whoa. Paul's blowing this out of proportion, isn't he? Or is he? Look at verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. The fact that you have this squabble, this disagreement, he says, you are destroying the work of God. What is the work of God he's referring to? A person being made in the image of of God, giving their life to Jesus and becoming that new creation and walking with Jesus. He's saying, you might destroy the work of God by your judging. The stakes are high. Look at verse 23. Whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. He's saying judging your brother or sister causes them to doubt their conviction, their conscience with the Lord, and so they act in a way that they don't feel comfortable. That, that Jewish Christian starts to eat food they feel really uncomfortable about, and he says, now you've caused that person to sin. Now they are falling away from the faith because of your judgment. The stakes could not be higher. It was funny when we had this... Uh, set of 90s music, and David referred to middle school or grade school. Yeah, that was very, very nice. Really aging myself here. The year after I graduated from college and the year before Cheryl and I married, I I stayed in our college town and lived and worked there. I had served in leadership at our uh, Baptist college group uh, through college, Uh, was really involved in leadership there. In fact, was up to being uh, the college intern. Uh, if, if that had worked out, I would be a Baptist now. So there you go, Frank. Some people say that I preach like a Baptist, but uh, the intern who had it that year changed his mind, wanted to stay on. And so I was a little bit in the in-between time trying to figure out, Lord, what do you want me to do? I started working at a group home for uh, emotionally disturbed boys and not making very much money. And I remember This was an illustration that came to me yesterday. The Lord was bringing out some old junk in my own heart that he said, let's let's work on that, let's deal with that. So not to air junk, but to say glory to God, things can can work out if this is helpful to you. But I remember that being a, a most challenging time because now I'm on my own, right? I need to pay the bills. And I'll never forget being, it's almost as if I'm there. This happened first service. I turned beat as a, as, as a, uh, as a radish, I might do it again. I was at Safeway in Davis, and it was the week of the statewide lotto was going to be the one. I think it was maybe like $100 million. What was it last week? Like a, 
like a billion dollars or something like that. And I thought, I, I should buy a ticket. Now, this is not a sermon about buying lot of tickets. I will tell you that the lottery is a form of injustice because it uh, predominantly calls on poor people to give the limited resources they have to gamble it away and lose it. And so, but we can talk about that another time. This is about me. I'm looking at that ticket and the sin in my heart was starting to what? Turn it into an idol. What would I do with all that money? Where my mind ran. And I'll fly off to Mexico. I bought the ticket. Here's the moment that I want to relate to you. A young woman from our college group, a senior, could be more than this tall, you know, probably weighed 100 pounds. She could have blown me over, over with, with her words. She, she saw that I had this ticket, and she looked at me, and she said with a shaking head, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you loved Jesus. And she walked away. And I didn't go to church for, for weeks. I felt so condemned and embarrassed. I want you to think about times you are tempted to judge a brother or sister. We're not talking about a person driving and doing their makeup. And we're not talking about, we're talking about the theological concept that we are, if we believe in Jesus, we're adopted into his family and that makes the relationship you have with the people around you very, very different, new blood relatives. I want you to think about times you're tempted to judge a brother or sister's behavior or beliefs. Is it more out of your own need to help the other person do or get it right? Which can lead, if you keep going that route, into codependency. It's up to me to make sure they believe and get it right. Or out of your own need to declare your own behavior and belief as being right. Which, taken too far, leads into being very defensive. I've got plenty of scripture. We could be here a long time of seeing the implications of knowing that God alone is the judge, not you and I. I'll just briefly mention a few of them. You can take these back to your small group. Certainly, we can look at Matthew 7, where Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite. He talks about in Matthew 7, about as you're pointing out the speck in your brother's eye, you've got a log sticking out of your own eye. Titus chapter 3, verse 2, always be gentle toward everyone. Don't speak in a, in a harsh way, in an unforgiving way. It's wrong to be overly superficial. John 7, 24 says this, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Passing judgment on someone solely by appearances, that snap judgment scripture speaks to as being wrong. Proverbs 19.5 says it this way, a false witness will not go unpunished. Whoever pours out lies will not go free. Do not bear false witness against your brother or sister. Say, well, I heard this. Well, I heard that. I'm thinking this must be the reason. No. James 4.6, God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. What's the opposite of pride? Humility. So you approach 
another, rightly so, to bring correction, or even if the elders would come and bring rebuke, we understand that. We bring it to a person first, Matthew 19, and then we call the elders. But we do so in whatever regard with humility. We could talk about all those things. I shared with you last week that I was going to meet with some friends to talk about politics. And I asked you to pray for me because I wasn't sure, you know, how that conversation was going to go. And I want to give you a little update. We had the conversation. We sat for three hours in my garage at 50 degrees. And somehow it got a little hot in there. And I don't know, this is a group of friends, brothers in Christ that voted differently. I don't know that there were minds changed, but there was an understanding and a love and a brotherhood and bond that was strengthened by God's grace. Final thoughts. Remember that everyone's experience is unique. We can never fully understand someone else's circumstances, nor can we predict how we would react if we walked in their shoes. Everyone has their own story to tell, their own history, their own fears, their own life experience that's not always obvious to us. So when we judge, we often are only looking at part of someone that's visible to us. We're not seeing the whole person. Their actions, behaviors, personality, choices might make more sense to us if we knew their story. And when we know someone's story, when you have heard someone's testimony, how God has worked in their life, and you're actually in a person's presence, not seeing them interacting with them on a screen, or just a sense of they versus us, when you're actually before another human being who says, I love Jesus too, it's very hard to judge them. Finally, it's not my job to change people, let alone to save anybody. We've got a terrible track record. It's never worked out. There's only one Savior. Amen? It's not my job to pass judgment either. I offer advice. I try my, my best by God's grace to preach his word and to live out a Christ-like example. By the work of the Holy Spirit, I might even occasionally inspire but it's up to each individual person to decide whether or not they will walk more closely with the Lord to take the next step in the journey of faith. Because God alone is the judge. A very common quote, we've heard it before, many of us. God loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. The things you might not like about someone, that snap judgment that, that you've made about a brother or sister in Christ, it just might be the very thing in which God is at work in that person's life at that moment. He wants to use you to be there, to encourage, maybe to poke, maybe to hug, maybe to challenge, maybe simply to say, I'll be praying for you. I'll end with this. Romans 14, 19 says this. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Friends, with all the division and divisiveness, can we commit to that? That we would do everything. We'd make every effort to seek peace. Let's pray. 
Lord God, we thank you for the work you're doing in and through us. We love you, Lord. Your mercies are new every day, Lord God. This is a testimony that we'll sing together. Justice is going to lead us in singing, Lord God. And may the evidence of that and the implications of that work in and through and out of us as a people of God. Amen.